We all know that one surefire way to get cancer is by smoking cigarettes. What if there was one thing that would be cancerous to marriage? Today we're going to look at one feeling that could destroy your marriage and what we can do to defend ourselves against this. Welcome to the Only You Forever podcast. If you want to build a thriving, passionate marriage, we've got the research, the truth, and the answers you've been looking for. And now, here are your hosts, Caleb and Verlinda Simone Gendel. Hey, everybody, this is episode number five, and we are going to be talking about the one thing that could ruin your marriage. So there's one thing. Marriages break up for lots of reasons. What's this one thing? Oh, uh, the one thing is contempt. So you're right. Marriages do break up for a lot of reasons, but there is a researcher that I like referring to, Dr. John Gottman, and he's developed a very unique ability to predict whether a marriage will last or not. He has shown that he has a 94% accuracy of prediction. And out of all the factors that contribute to a marriage going south, the number one is contempt. So how does he see it? What does this look like? It looks like in a marriage, sarcasm, cynicism, name calling, eye rolling. Uh, you can see it verbally on a person's face when they lift a corner or pull back the side of their mouth, often just on one edge, sneering, uh, just outright mockery or hostile humor in the marriage. So using things that are kind of laughing, but it's, it's targeting, it's barbed when it's coming at you. I'm just sitting here practicing all those things you just quoted. <laughs> That's not a good sign. No. So how does it work? How does contempt work in a marriage? Okay, so what the contempt does is it increases conflict in the marriage. And the reason it does that is because it comes from long simmering negative thoughts. And so when that's injected with this sort of cynicism and the sneering and the mockery, that increases conflict because naturally it doesn't draw people together. It makes you want to, you know, swing back, right? Right. So we're not talking here that, you know, if I've rolled my eyes once at you that we're destined for no, we're talking about something that's more, it's deeper, it becomes more embedded. So a long, simmering, our, yeah. negative thought. So, yeah, and what's interesting about it too is it's literally unhealthy. So couples who are contemptuous of each other are more likely to suffer from infectious diseases. That was another thing that came out of his research. So it actually weakens the, the immune system. Like physiological yeah. symptoms. There are consequences in your health, your literal physical health, for feeling this way on a consistent basis. So this is almost the equivalent of like a high-stress job or something. It just increases the stress in your marriage. Yeah, it builds up and you pay for it. Wow. Mm -hmm. so, so do you have, do you have any examples for us of contempt? Yeah, there is a great example in, in the history of the Bible found in one of the wives of David and her name, I don't quite know how to pronounce it from the Hebrew, but we'll just call her Michelle because I think that's probably the closest English word that we would be used to or name we'd be used to. After he was appointed to be king, before he became king, in that period, he had to go into exile because the current king at the time obviously didn't want to be replaced. Yeah. Now, he was married to that king's daughter, Michelle. And so he said, you just stay there with your dad, the current king, and let me know what's going on. And, and he went into exile by himself. He actually acquired other wives during the time. So she's left at home trying to explain to her dad where David went. Is that what you mean? Yeah, she's left at home. I don't think that she might have been as worried about trying to explain where David was as much as he goes off, he acquires other wives while he's gone. So she sees his affection as going to other places. She sees herself being left out of his story, not brought into his life, not included. So then she's got those negative thoughts just simmering in there, right. not able to talk to him about them. 
Right. So you can kind of see strategically why his idea might be great to, you know, have a source sort of close to the problem to feed him information. It was just absolutely terrible for his relationship. Right. So then there's this scene when he returns and he's celebrating victory. Mm -hmm. And she looks out, she sees his excitement. And as soon as they meet, she just cuts him down. Yep. What is she doing? She's, how is she showing contempt? Uh, Well, it actually says she, she despises him in her heart. So it's, the Bible tells us very clearly it's coming from deep inside her that she despised him in his heart right at the, the moment of his victory when he's celebrating. And she hits him with sarcasm, which is an expression of contempt. Okay. And just uh, goes on about, you know, how lovely your dance was in front of all the maidens of Israel today. like Just mocking him. Yeah, absolutely. So that contempt then conveys disgust and anger. So those are kind of the two root parts of contempt, disgust and anger. And you can see that very much in Michelle's experience. So there's the disgust with David, which is tied back to much deeper, long-standing issues in their marriage. Yeah. And she's very angry when she comes at him. And back then, just as today, it feels conflict in the marriage. So the story actually ends. That chapter in Second Samuel 6, when you go to the bottom of the chapter, it ends by saying that she had no children to the day of her death, which is the Bible's way of saying that their physical intimacy ended and I take it from that, their you know, emotional and relational intimacy ended there as well. So she might have stayed as queen formally, but there was no, there's no love in that marriage anymore. So I can see how Dr. Gottman says that contempt is the number one predictor of divorce. It just sounds lethal for a marriage. It is. It's very, very serious. Does this go both ways? Well, what's more interesting about the subject is that contempt from a wife is more serious than contempt coming from the husband. So there is a gender difference here again. Now, nobody deserves to be treated contemptuously. So I'm not saying it's okay for a husband to be contemptuous, but I'm saying that what has been noted in the research that it is more serious when the wife is experiencing and expressing this contempt. So that kind of goes with the the thought that men are hardwired for respect. Right, which is a huge theme in the well-known Love and Risk book from Dr. Egerich's that he put out, which is the expression of love toward the wife from the husband and the wife reciprocating with respect as a primary response toward the husband, which comes from Ephesians 6. So what's interesting though, is that there's another study I came across. It said that individuals who doubt themselves underestimate the strengths of their partner's love. So I might doubt myself and that doubt will be fueled by contempt. Towards yourself or towards your spouse? So so if you are expressing contempt towards me, it's going to fuel self-doubt. Oh, gotcha. Somewhere deep down inside there, right? Which makes sense. Yep. So disgust and anger, and I'm going to really wonder if I'm worthy of love and so on. That translates into, in the human psyche, that translates into me underestimating the strength of your love. So even if you did love me by expressing the contempt, you're eroding at my perception of your love. So that that intimate bond is just eroding. Yep. That's, and that's where the cancer analogy fits really well, because it just kind of really wastes away at the core of that bond. Right. Very destructive. Okay, well, what if there's, you know, somebody listening to this show and they're thinking, you know what, I roll my eyes or I'm sarcastic or, oh no, my marriage is toast. Yeah. Is there hope? There is. So these things can be dealt with and can be turned around. And uh, if that's you out there today and you're listening to the show and, and this is part of your experience, there are things that you could can do to change this. And they're real, just as real as the contempt is, but it's something that you're going to have to be deliberate about. So One of the things that we want to work on in our marriage is really developing what Dr. Gallman calls a culture of praise and admiration towards each other. And that comes from expressing genuine appreciation, you know, towards my spouse for something she does or in your, in the wife's case, for what he does. 
Right. Now, we talked about that in more detail in episode number four, um, five reasons you need to tell your wife you appreciate her. Yeah. I think we have some details about appreciation in there. Absolutely. In addition to that, being focused on what my spouse is adding to my life. So when we get into the marriage and things have gone on for a number of years, we can start to take each other for granted and those all those things that just happen every day that we no longer notice and acknowledge can easily fall by the wayside. If we're overcome with a bitter spirit, we can become contemptuous. So we need to start to bring back in those things that we assume. Your husband gets out of bed and he goes to work every day. Start appreciating right. things like that that are normal. Right. Or you have clean clothes in your drawer every day. Right. Well, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. And uh, as well, another thing is touching your partner verbally and physically every day in an affectionate manner. So that's a hug or whatever kind of touch it might be, but also reaching out with our words as well to communicate love. That, that's good. It just reminds me of you talking to the chickens every day. <laughs> I talk to the chickens every day. Well, when you get home from work, you like to go out to the chicken coop and make sure your chickens are all good. And then you come inside and you say hi to your wife. That's right. Yeah. Just shows me how much you appreciate me. Right. So I get the, the small details out of the way first to make sure you have my undivided attention. Right. Right. Yeah. Yes. So this all sounds really deliberate. Like this isn't something you can just wing. If you've got contempt in your marriage, you need to work on it. You can't just mm-hmm. assume that it's going to fix itself or it'll go away. Mm-hmm. You need to take deliberate steps that know I'm going to appreciate him. I'm going to tell him that mm-hmm. or vice versa. Mm-hmm. And I think, too, if this is not an obvious part of your marriage, just being aware of how easily this could become a real presence in your marriage and working. Guarding. Yeah, guarding, building resilience. That might be a more complicated way of saying that. But guarding against it by instilling that appreciation, by noticing the details, by reaching out to each other and touching each other emotionally and physically in the marriage. Yeah, I think if you uh, have this thoughts, like those negative thoughts going through your head, that's when you need to stop and connect mm-hmm. with your spouse. Like, don't just let it go and again, assume it's going to go away. No, be deliberate about it and say, no, I'm going to stop here. We're going to reconnect yeah. so I can see the good again mm-hmm. and then go from there. Mm-hmm. The other part that we want to be careful about in here too, with building a culture of praise and admiration. Now you and I tease each other and yes. sometimes our listeners get to see that, but we have to become very careful in our humor that it never starts going too far. It's always one-sided or it's always in a setting where it's in front of people. You know, sometimes those things can be early signals of contempt and a marriage that's headed down the tube. So it's good to be able to learn to laugh at ourselves Mm -hmm. and share sort of our vulnerabilities or highlight them in a friendly way in our partner. But we have to make sure that that's in a supporting context, that it's equal, it's fair, it's not demeaning. It's Uh, only a joke when both people laugh. Yeah. Yeah, not when it is thrown out with a barb attached. or Yeah, if there's any nastiness there, and, and you, I've noticed too, sometimes, you know, healthy humor can turn into unhealthy humor very quickly, and you all of a sudden realize, okay, there's a deeper sort of frustration or resentment in my heart here. I need to talk to Verlinda about that. And that's when you have to go have the conversation, or mm-hmm. maybe you have to call it out in me either way and deal with it. Right. So are you saying that we should go talk about the chickens now? <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like we need to talk about the chickens. Well, that's all for today, folks. Let's head over to the Q&A section. And now for our Q&A section. Remember, if you'd like to ask us a question, you can email it to questions at onlyyouforever.com or please leave us a voicemail at onlyyouforever.com slash questions. 
So this question comes from Mark. Mark from a long ways away. Good to hear from you, Mark. Thank you for your question. And the question is, it seems a good marriage, as we have observed, goes through different stages of growth. Are these stages common to all marriages? Can they be delineated? What hinders or halts progression? What enhances progression? So that's a good question. That is a good question. So Mark, um, we're not sure what you've observed, but you are absolutely right. We kind of think heading into marriage that when we choose our life partner, we're done. Well, the transitions keep coming. They do. There's quite a bit to your question here, Mark. In fact, I have a whole textbook in my hand called The Expanded Family Life Cycle by Carter and McGoldrick. Now, they come from a very different worldview than I do, and I know than you do as well. It's one of those books where you really have to eat the meat and spit out the bones, but there is some good stuff in it. And I'm just going to give you the following stages. It's not going to answer all of your question, but hopefully it will give you an idea, validate some of your thoughts, and maybe there'll be some follow-up questions we can answer in future episodes. The first stage in the family life cycle is called leaving home. That's when we launch ourselves as single young adults. So one of the key parts of that emotionally is accepting sort of the or definitely the emotional and the financial responsibility of or for myself. That makes you can't sense. rely on your parents anymore. Right. So I'm launching, I'm leaving home. And then we fall in love. And then there's the next stage, the joining of families through marriage. So a new couple. And that's where two people really have to stop and commit themselves to creating a new family system, what we call. So there's new dynamics. We, we negotiate the roles, the rules. We can't just combine both sets of parents and say, we're going to do it this way. Like, no, we're going to take bits from this side and bits from this side and make our own. Yeah, now often we try to bring all of everything and that gets a little messy. But there's there's quite a bit of negotiation that goes on through there as we go through that, that part of our experience. So then the next stage is families with young children, which is accepting sort of new members into that family system. We have to adjust our marriage system that we've built to make space for the children. We join in child rearing. There's financial and household tasks related to that. And grandparents come into the picture. There's adjustments related to that for everybody involved there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so that's with young children. And then with adolescents, there's kind of a latent stage there when they're in the tweens. Then families with adolescents is the next stage, so there needs to be an increasing flexibility of our family boundaries that Carter and McGoldrick identify to permit the children's independence and also start to accommodate the frailties of the grandparents. So their health actually becomes an issue in the family system at that stage quite often as well. Right. Often there's some marital and career issues related to midlife. That your midlife crisis? Yeah. Launching children is the next stage and moving on. So in our day and age with the cost of housing and tuition and the way Generation YB, I think they're calling them now, is operating, there's going to be a multitude of exits from and entries back into the family system. So they go off to college, they come back for the summer. They go off to college, they eventually graduate, they come back home while they're building their first job or starting whatever they're doing. Some of them may launch into a career for a while and then they'll come back home because they really need a a cheap place to live while they're launching a new business. So it's in and out, in and out. That's another phase that comes in. And in that phase two, the couple has to renegotiate their marital system because it's now no longer caring for children. So we have these young adults that are coming in and out, but it's different. They don't need that same amount of care, but they're still kind of an invasion into your routine. There are, and then you develop an adult-to-adult relationship with the children too. Right. So that's a difference as well. And then they bring in-laws in eventually as well, and they bring grandchildren in as well, which complicates life. But then your cycle's just kind of all over you. are kind of back at the start. So your family then goes into the last phase in later life, which is the shifting of generational roles and learning to accept 
now that I'm a grandparent and I'm watching you do everything that I did. Mm -hmm. And then eventually my child who I cared for is becoming the caregiver. They're becoming the caregiver and they're kind of taking a more central role in life now as well as I become that aged person and I'm looking to share my wisdom and experience as an elderly person with them now and looking for them to support me in return in, in my in my age. So there could be other things that come in through stages of life there that dealing with loss of your spouse, of your siblings, other peers in our age group. Yeah. And our own preparation for death. So what I'm hearing is, yeah, there are a lot of different stages. Mm-hmm. And as a spouse, we need to be flexible and, you know, work with our marriage throughout whatever it brings. Yeah. It's going to change. Yeah. And yeah. we're going to change. We grow as people. Like, I'm not the same person I was 15 years ago, thankfully. Right. You know, hopefully I've matured a little bit. But we have to change. We have to be flexible. We can't be rigid. Mm-hmm. So I think we often head out of uh, school with the naive idea that the next major thing, aside from career, is going to be finding my life partner. And once I've made that choice, I've kind of fixed my game for, for the next 40, 50, 60, 70 years, whatever it's going to be. Right? Yeah, yeah. And it's just, uh, it's a steady road down there, but that there's a constant flux. Things are always going to keep changing. So great question, Mark. Good for us to be mindful of these things, going through them, and just realizing that, you know, we have to be prepared for those adjustments and make them together. It is going to change. Absolutely. So that's all for today's episode. You can get the full show notes at onlyyouforever.com slash five. And remember, again, we're here to help build thriving, passionate marriages. So send us your marriage questions into questions at onlyyouforever.com. Thank you for listening to the OnlyYouForever.com podcast. Please help us reach and influence a wider audience by rating and reviewing our podcast at OnlyYouForever.com slash love. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.